0: hmm Okay,
1: folks.
0: Hi there, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. I'd like to add my welcome to that that you've already received. If we can be drawing our conversations to a close now, that'd be lovely. It's great to be here this morning. Um, thrilled that we're speaking about Nehemiah, one of my favourite books of the Bible. So it's, um, it's a real joy to be here today. Um, i think it's really interesting the book of nehemiah is um, it, you can you can look at it as a as a story about rebuilding the church, so the city is kind of ruined and the people are dispersed and it's a story about how God rebuilds the church and you know how interesting that today we've been hearing about what's going on in Istanbul and the church under threat in that way, just uh, an awful situation. So I just think it's really interesting that God's kind of having us look at this today in the light of that thing that we've 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 asked you to pray about. So um, yeah, really interesting, and it's an interesting book too, um, especially as we go into our week of prayer. I think it's a, really, it's a really fruitful book for us to be looking at going into that. So as we're reading today, why don't you be thinking about, hey, what can I take into the week of prayer? What can I learn from my prayer life to help me this coming week? And it's an interesting book as well, because um, some of you that have been here a long time may remember, I mean, we've been here since 19, not been here, the church has been in existence since 1994, coming up 23 years. And um, right back in the early days, I mean, it must have been in the first year, God, God got hold of one of the elders, Richard Vernon, and said, hey, Nehemiah that's a book you guys need to look at. And it came in so clearly from God. It was really, really prophetic. And, and Richard said, hey, we need to look at this book. And we taught into it and we prayed about it and we fed on it and we meditated on it. And it helped us shape the church. We were just kind of setting out. Thanks, Andy. We were just setting out. How do you build the church? What do you do? How does, how's God going to use us to build the church? Really helped us enormously. It was a big word for us at that time. This book was a big thing for us. Fast forward several years There was some stuff going on that most folks don't hear, wouldn't wouldn't remember, wouldn't know about. There was stuff going on outside the church that was really quite unhelpful for us. Interestingly, in the book of Nehemiah, as they're building, there's a guy called Sanballat and another guy called Tobiah. Incredibly helpful, unhelpful, trying to derail what they're doing. And we felt at the time, back back in the day in King's Church, we felt that stuff that's going on outside there... It's like Sanballat and Tobiah, and it really helped us to kind of keep them at arm's length, keep that stuff at arm's length, just while we carried on building the church. So why am I telling you this? Well, because if this is your church, this story is part of your DNA. It's part of your heritage. It's, it's, you know, God's used this twice, really significantly, in the building of this church, and you're standing on that today. So I was thrilled when Philip said, hey, we're going to get into Nehemiah. We're going to teach into Nehemiah because I just love this story. I love Nehemiah. I love what God's done through this already. I love what he's going to do through this. So just know that this is an important book. If you're part of King's Church, it's an important book for you. God's used this and he's going to use it again. So let's get into it. So if you've got your Bibles, Nehemiah 2. Um, and then we're going, to read chap- we're going to read verse 1 to verse 8. It should pop up on the screen behind me. Great. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing as you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber, to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Mm, let's pray. Lord, we're just so grateful for your word to us, Lord. We're so grateful for the way you teach us. You open up your heart to us. And, you, and we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit you take your words and you plant them in our hearts and you change us, Lord? We're so grateful for that, Lord. And we say today, Lord, would you do that again? Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Teach us what's on the heart of God. Teach us what, what you'd have us take away from this, Lord. Change us, Lord. We want to be the church that you'd have us be. So get hold of us today, Lord, for your glory. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Terrific. So, if you were here last week, you'll have heard Philip um, doing chapter 1. We're in chapter 2, and then there's a handful of other chapters. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a quick flyby to set some context before we get into it. So, we're 445 years BC. The Babylonian Empire has taken over Jerusalem, and then the Persian Empire has taken over the Babylonian Empire. So the Persians are in charge. They've taken the people of God from Jerusalem and scattered them all over the ancient world. So they're just like insignificant, they're nowhere. For some reason, the Persian Empire, they say, oh, there's some guys over here, they can go back and rebuild the wall, they can go back and rebuild the city. But as we heard last week, it comes to nothing, it doesn't work. And that's when Nehemiah gets to hear about it. And last week you heard Nehemiah, he was just broken. He heard that these people had gone back to build the city, it hadn't worked, he's broken. Now it's funny because it wasn't new news, it was kind of a bit of an old story, some people knew this, some people didn't, but it hits Nehemiah like a train. His response contrasts with everybody else's. What's the big deal? Well you see, a city in those days, in that context without wars, would be at the mercy of anybody passing through. Any, any new influence, that wants, any new king that wants to set up and rule, anyone that wants to steal stuff, there's no, no way of defending that city. So the city was like, it was ruined. It was, it was insignificant. And sure enough, all the people had been taken away and dispersed. So it was hugely significant. Hugely significant. And then we hear that Nehemiah, we heard last week, is cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer to the king. So it's a very high-ranking job. It's, it's an elevated waiter But it's a very high-ranking job, actually. And he's the guy that prevents the king being poisoned every time he drinks wine, because he tastes it first. No, that's not poisoned. You're good to go. So that was his job. So now we're in the month of Nissan. That's what it says at the start of the passage, doesn't it? We're in the month of Nissan, And that's actually four months after chapter one. So he's been praying and fasting for four months. And we hear he comes before the king. He's looking a bit gloomy and the king knew that he wasn't sick because you wouldn't turn up in that job if you were sick. You wouldn't be sneezing all over the king's wine. So it's not illness, it must be something else. He probably looks tired as well. If he's been praying and fasting and seeking God and getting into God's word and preparing and planning for four months, he probably looks a bit worse for wear. So the king says, hey, what's up? Nehemiah explains this situation about Jerusalem. The walls are down, the gates are burned, it's defenseless. Now the king at that point thinks he understands, and he does, to an extent. I get it, says the king. If a city's got no wall, it's useless. I get it. Um, It's going to be vulnerable. Sure, yeah, You you can go and fix up that city, which is a strange thing for him to accept. But on the face of it, he thinks it's a material situation. Nehemiah sees it as a much more significant situation. The walls are down. Nehemiah understood that the city... Jerusalem was synonymous with the people of God and the kingdom of God God had said that this was a covenant community what does that mean it's a community it's a people under a promise and the promise was that he was going to make that nation more numerous than the stars in the sky that he was going to make that nation his dwelling place that he would be glorified on earth through that nation if the city's in ruins, the people of God are a laughingstock and the name of God is shamed and disgraced. So Nehemiah sees the rebuilding uh, uh, quite differently from how King Artaxerxes sees it. Now, of course, the city is a picture of the church. So for us, it's got an even, an even more potent dimension, I think, because we look at it and we see the church. We see God's aim in the Bible for the church is to be beautiful and pure and spotless and without blemish. The Bible talks about Jesus being like a, a bridegroom, and the church is his bride. It's perfect. And it's, it's bright as the sun, it's beautiful as the moon, says the Bible. But that's not the vision that we see today when we look at the church. And you could, you could say that about King's Church. You could say about the church around the corner. The church is together in the borough, London, U.K., the world, the church isn't a pure spotless bride right now, is it? If you were here last week, Philip, I, I think it was incredibly helpful, shared that of the 173,000 people in the borough of Kingston, this week, 170,000 of them are not in church. Yeah, those guys are not going. The church is beautiful and pure and spotless. I need to get there. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're, they don't see it like that. They think it's a, like a minority interest group. They're, they're not. They're not seeing it the way God would see it. The walls of the church are down. The walls of, of the city are down. Numerically, it's a rounding difference, isn't it? A hundred, you know, a couple of thousand out of 173. It's a rounding difference. The Bible talks about it being like an army with banners, i.e. a force to be reckoned with. It's not where we are today. So there's a huge chasm, I think, between what the Bible says of the church and the reality of where we are today. So if Nehemiah looked at the walls of the city and he mourned, that's what we should be doing. We should be looking at the church and mourning and go, oh, God's got a great picture for the church. How are we going to get there? That's kind of where our hearts should be. Anyway, just on, on with a little praise The king says, what do you want? At this point, Nehemiah fires off a quick prayer to God. And he says, I'd like to go and rebuild the walls. King says, how long will it take? Nehemiah tells him. King says, yes. Off he goes. Amazing. Artaxerxes Xerxes like putty in his hand, isn't it? Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And the rest of the book details the building of the wall and what happens. So I want to look at two main things. I want to look at the characteristics of Nehemiah's prayer. I want to unpack how he prays and what we can take away, specifically for this week of prayer, but also into our, into our lives generally. And I want to look at the consequences of prayer. So characteristics of Nehemiah's prayer, terrific. So the first one is, he uses scripture. I'm going to kind of straddle last week and this week in some of this talk. And last week we saw that he uses scripture when he prays. So he looks at the situation, it's pretty grim, you see his, his heart breaks, he mourns, he's in bits. How does he pray? He says, God, you're faithful. <laughs> God, you're good. And, and you go, hang on a minute, Nehemiah, your people are dispersed all over the ancient world. The, the land of milk and honey is like, it's like history, as far as you're concerned. God's, God's faithful? God's faithful to his promises? And then, he, and then he goes on to pray. And he actually uses scripture from Deuteronomy. It's a prayer he would have known. He uses what Moses said. Let's just pop that next slide up if we can. You see, Nehemiah says, remember the word that you command your servant Moses, saying if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. He's referring to this passage in Deuteronomy where Moses says, "Look, if you act corruptly, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And you will serve gods of wood and stone. So Nehemiah's going, the promises of God are good. Because he promised if we act corruptly, we'll be scattered. We acted corruptly, we're scattered. I can trust the promises of God. And it's important. It's important that he's, he's able to trust the promises of God. God wants us to take him at his word. That's really important. So, when we come to pray, a really helpful way to pray is to get your Bible out and look at the promises of God and feed on those and use those as a springboard. Let those stir your faith. Let's be a church that feeds on the Word of God and believes the promises in there and takes that into our prayer as we seek Him because it's incredibly potent and powerful and it builds our faith and it's the truth. So, one, He uses Scripture. Two, he prays intentionally for a sustained period. So, he prays for four months. I'm reliably informed that Chislev, in chapter one, as we saw last week, is November, December-ish. Nisan is March, April-ish. So, he's praying for about four months. And it says he's praying and fasting day and night. And he's weeping and mourning, and he's hearing from God, and he's planning and preparing. He's a busy boy. He's praying and fasting day and night. Now, he doesn't pray and fast for four months end to end. You know, it's not medically possible, is it, to go without food? So just, just listen to what this is saying carefully. Don't think that we're going into a, a four-month period of praying and fasting. That's not helpful. Yeah, It's possible to pray and fast some of the time. And maybe I'm going to skip lunches. Maybe I'm going to pray and fast for a day intensively. Maybe I'm going to do a Saturday. Maybe I'm going to do evenings. I don't know. You know, Philip encouraged us last week to work out what prayer and fasting is going to look for you. Nehemiah worked it out, and he prayed and fasted for four months. He was able to go to work at the same time. Because you remember the bit where the king says, hey, you look sad. The king doesn't say, hey, where have you been for four months? He's been turning up to work. So don't say, oh yeah, I've got a busy job, I I can't pray and and fast. Mm -mm. Nehemiah had a serious job, and he prayed and fasted for four months, weeping and mourning. So work it out. It's possible to do that. Also, if you're kind of new to these things, don't bite off, that's a really bad analogy, (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't, don't bite off more than you can chew you know, do something that's sustainable much better to figure out something that works in your prayer life and you can run with it and it's sustainable than you, you, know, you, you try something that's too difficult and you crash and burn much better to have a sustained prayer life so figure it out for yourself Nehemiah did and it really worked for him so that's thinking about um, being, being intentional You know, be intentional about your prayer life, particularly this week. We've got a great opportunity to kind of kickstart that again, haven't we? So, um, yeah, he's at work for for, for four months. Um, Now, spoiler alert here, I'm going to tell you a bit about what happens in the rest of the story. He goes down to Jerusalem. He's there for about 12 years, actually. Um, But interestingly, the rebuilding of the wall takes 52 days, which is a bit of, A feat of civil engineering like we've not seen since, I don't think. 52 days. But what caught my attention there was if he's praying and fasting for four months, so that's about 100, 120 days, something like that, the rebuilding of the wall takes 52 days. The rebuilding of the wall takes half the amount of time he spends praying and fasting. And I just thought, what a challenge for me. Do I pray and fast twice as much as I do stuff? (sighs) No is my sad confession. I don't. You know, I'm much more likely to go, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. Oh, crumbs, I better pray about that. (laughs) You know, it's like the antithesis of what Nehemiah's up to. But, you know, I I found that a really helpful provocation. You know, wouldn't it be great if we were those who were intentional about our prayer lives and about how we fast? And we do that over a sustained period. And wouldn't it be great if our prayer lives were like this? And then our doing stuff was like this. You know, I think that's the pattern here that God's setting before us. Okay. So he was intentional and he prayed for a sustained period. What else does he do? He waits on God. He waits on God. Now, clearly, he's an action man. You know, you look at what he does later in the book. He's an impressive guy by most people's standards. It's maybe not all about him, it's maybe about God, and we'll perhaps look at a little bit of that. But he's an action man. But he prays and he waits. Now, some of you know what it is to pray and wait. Some of you know about waiting for answers to prayer. So he he prays and waits for four months, prays and waits and fasts for four months. Some of you guys have been praying for years for, for breakthrough, decades. I know that, and that's a tough place to be. But you've got to honor Nehemiah in, in praying and waiting for four months. And I want to say I want to honor you. If, you're, if you've been praying for something and you're still faithfully praying for years for breakthrough, and there's some tough things in this church that maybe you don't know about, there's some tough things in this church. People have been praying for breakthrough for years and they're still praying. I just want to honor you. And I think God would honor you for that. That's a good place to be. It's a tough place to be but it's a good place to be. And I want to say, hang in there. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to pray for one more day. If God doesn't turn up, I'm just going to get on with it. He doesn't say that. Don't say that with your prayer life. Hang in there. Hang in there. Psalm 130, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. There's a priority there that is about God and not about me and my bright ideas, isn't it? If you're trusting in yourself, you're just going to get on and do stuff. If you're trusting in God, you're going to pray and wait. David says, "Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's be those who pray and wait for the Lord. It's not an easy thing to do. Let your heart be strong and take courage. You need to be strong, you need to be courageous to wait for God. Sometimes the easy thing is to bluster in and do stuff. The hard thing is to wait on God. So let's be those who pray and wait for the Lord as we humbly acknowledge our dependence on him. So the next point I wanted to just bring out was he prays big prayers and little prayers. It's a complex theological point, so hang in there with me on this one. Big prayers and little prayers. So... um, It's interesting, he's been praying for four months. The boss says, What is it you want? And what does he do? He prays. Hasn't he prayed enough already? You know, how much praying does this guy want to do? Well, Belinda and I like to chat. We like to get time together each day to catch up. We like to prioritize that if we can. We like to carve that time out. Maybe we go for a little walk in the park, or we just sit down and we have a little chat over a cup of tea. What, what are you thinking? What's going on? How's stuff going? Can we pray about something? You know, we like to build that time in. It's like a building block. We affirm one another. Your life's better when we get serious, serious amounts of time together on a regular basis, daily if we can. But as well as that, we just like to catch up with each other. Maybe a little quick call, maybe a little text maybe a little cuddle in the kitchen as we pass each other, you know, whatever, just little moments, grab a moment as you can, just part of daily life, then it's good. Now imagine I come home from work one day, and I go to Belinda, just get a little peck on the cheek in the kitchen, and she goes, way back off. We, we, We had quality time this morning with you, that's done, come on, you know, that part of our day is done. Or, I, you know, one, one weekend she says, oh, Paul, I think it would be great if we could maybe get a Saturday afternoon, we could go for a walk along the river, maybe up to Richmond, grab some dinner. There's some stuff I think we need to talk about. And I go, uh, can we do it on text? Is that going to work? <laughs> you know, that sounds like a shaky relationship to me. You know, it's not enough in my marriage to get some big, chunky time. That's it. End of. It's not enough in my marriage to go, yeah, yeah, we kind of catch up, ch- 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 bit ad hoc. I need both those things, really. And I think any relationship does. You know, to have a well-rounded relationship, you need both those things. And my prayer life is, is one of the ways I communicate with God, one of the ways I relate to God. So in my prayer life, what I do is I get serious chunks of time to pray on a regular basis, but then I'm also firing off little tactical prayers through the day. So every day in the morning, I get my Bible out, I read, I pray, I go down my little prayer list, I've got a little prayer list on my phone, it's really helpful, I pray about the day, what's going on. But then during the day, I'm going into a scary meeting or something, and I go, oh God, a little prayer in the moment, just like maybe referencing back to when I was praying in the morning, and just kind of weaving that whole thing together. I think it's both and. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing. He gets that structured big chunk of prayer, four months. The king says something, pew, off goes another little prayer. So it's really helpful, if you can, to carve out that time every day. I've got to say, for me, hands down, it's in the morning. You know, I, just, I need that as prep. I need to get ready for my day by praying and reading the Bible. I kind of find if I try to muddle through the day and then catch up at the end of the day with my prayer and Bible reading, it's like, oh, I wish I'd done this this morning, (laughs) you know? So I would say to you, if you can get your time in the morning, do it, but do it, do it whenever you can. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. And just, I just want to say, as we go through this week of prayer, we're going to be, we're going to be encouraging you in the morning to, read, to, to hear that podcast, to focus in on things in the podcast, get some time with God, but then carry that with you. Weave that into your daily life so that your prayer life is just kind of throughout the day. Structural kind of strategic moments, ad hoc tactical moments. That's what we see in Nehemiah. And I just want to encourage you to, to be doing that this week as we go through, but also ongoing, really. So what else? He prays big prayers and little prayers. He prays with humility and audacity. That's like, he's, very, he's a humble guy, but he's a bold, sort of asks big questions kind of guy. I love his humility. I mean, he knows how to serve this guy. He's a, he's a senior guy for the king, but basically... He's a servant, isn't he? He serves the drinks, that's what he does. But he puts himself under the authority of the king. He knows what it is to be under authority in his daily life at work. And then when we we looked last week at that prayer, you read the words in that prayer, here's a guy that knew what it was to be under authority. He was a humble man before God. He says, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, hear my prayer He confesses the sin of his whole people group as well as his family and his own sin. He knows what it is to be humble before God. But don't misread humility as lack of ambition in the kingdom of God. Have you ever seen such an audacious ask? The servant comes in, looks a bit glum. King says, what's up? He says, well, King, listen. You know that city you hate? that was home to the people you subjugated? Can you give me 12 years off work so I can go and rebuild that city to make it strong and defendable again so the God you don't even believe in can be known and worshipped and glorified? And the people you enslaved can go and worship him and honour him. Oh, and can you build me a house? Oh, and can you fund the whole thing? <laughs> I mean, that's a massive prayer, isn't it? When my kids were little, and it, was, and it was Christmas time, and you know they did the little Father Christmas list, sometimes they'd get the Argos catalogue and just copy pages out from the Argos catalogue. I used to think, wow, that's audacious. You know, Nehemiah puts them in the shade. This is this is much more significant than the Argos catalogue. But I love it because you go, that's all about God, isn't it? I've got a humble man here that's asking for the biggest thing, the biggest ask I've ever seen god's put that on his heart that's what god was doing in that four months he was putting this on nehemiah's heart you've got to ask yourself are your prayers ambitious enough in the kingdom of god are you allowing god to put big asks on your heart am i exercising faith in the kingdom of god when i pray If you've got a promise from God that, God's, that you've heard prophetically, if you've got a promise from God from the Bible that you're hanging on to, I just want to encourage you. It's there for a reason. God's spoken to you. It's there for a reason. And God is good and faithful, and he delivers on his promises. So as we go into this week of prayer, let's be those people that come to this humbly, acknowledging our complete dependence on God, but fully expectant that the God of eternity is going to set some big, hairy goals before us fully expect him to put some big asks on your heart so how does Nehemiah pray, some characteristics of Nehemiah's prayers, just to recap he prays using scripture and it's such a fantastic firm foundation to pray from he prays intentionally, he carves out time in his day, he makes sure he gets to pray and he prays for a sustained period it's four months praying and fasting he takes it seriously He waits on God, because prayer is not just about request, it's about listening, isn't it? It's a two-way street. He prays big prayers and little prayers, so big structured prayers, ad hoc little prayers, and he prays with humility and audacity. So let's move on. Let's talk about the consequences of prayer, the outcome of prayer, and we're just going to spend a little bit of time on this before we close. So if we look at Luke eleven, um, well known verse, let me just let me just read it to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who finds, seek and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So you look at that and you think, actually, our prayer changes the way God acts there's a correlation between ask and receive. It's like cause and effect. We see it in the Old Testament too. One of my favorite verses in scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's cause and effect. Miraculously, our behavior causes god to change his behavior awesome then again 1 john 1 9 if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness why am i banging on about this it's it's so important that we are utterly convinced of the truth of this that our prayer is effective because that's so helpful fueling us to pray if we're not praying much it may well be that we need to get back into some of these verses and believe some of this. Because when we get hold of the truth of the fact that our prayer affects the way God acts, we go, this is a potent thing in our hands. The willingness of God to hear and respond should change the way we behave. So as we go into this week of prayer, know that your prayer changes the way God acts. And let that influence your behavior. But the next point I want to touch on very briefly is, what about unanswered prayer? All right, my my prayer affects the way God acts, but what about this thing I've been praying for for decades? And this is really tough. We read the scriptures, we feel encouraged, we pray. God doesn't seem to answer the way we want him to. Joseph remember the story? He goes to see his brothers. They go, we're going to kill him. Uh, they throw him in a pit. Then they go, no, we're going to sell him as a slave. And, and they sell him and he goes into Egypt. And you know, you know the rest of the story. You think in that pit he didn't pray? God, get me out of this pit. Deliver me. Don't let my brothers kill me. Don't let me be sold as a slave. What happens? He's sold as a slave. God didn't answer that prayer. But later on, 25 years later, Joseph's able to say to his brothers, you meant it for harm but God meant it for good and it's only with the benefit of hindsight he can do that so we don't always see the big picture the Jews prayed for a Messiah to come for years but in Galatians it says when the fullness of time had come God sent his son there's a timing thing that we don't always get because we're not God he is prayer sometimes goes unanswered because we don't pray as we ought to That's what we read in scripture. We don't pray according to God's will. We see that in scripture. We don't ask in faith. But if your prayer is unanswered, you're in good company. The apostle Paul prayed three times, it says, for the thorn to be removed from his side. Do you remember that? And God says, I'm going to leave it there. My grace is sufficient for you. That prayer wasn't answered. King David in the Old Testament prayed that his son would be spared and wouldn't die. And that prayer wasn't answered. And David worshipped in response to that. And Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me just before he was crucified. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So if you're facing a prayer that hasn't been answered, you need to know two things. Those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purpose. You need to hang on to that. Nothing about answered or unanswered prayer is going to change that. That's the truth for you. And again, if you're facing unanswered prayer, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's no easy answers to this stuff, but those things are true and you can hang on to those and you can believe those as you continue to seek God in prayer. So the third consequence of prayer is the wall was rebuilt, the city was rebuilt. God speaks to Nehemiah, by the Holy Spirit, gives him a vision, fully equips him, sends him off. In chapter one, he's in bits, Nehemiah. In chapter two, he's unstoppable. God does that. That's a consequence of prayer. Why does he do it? It says in verse eight, for the good hand of God was upon me. That's why he does it. The city's rebuilt because the good hand of God is upon Nehemiah. So the wall's rebuilt. So we can take that encouragement, can't we, about the church, that picture of the church that we're aspiring to. That's, it's all dependent on, on what God does, and we can access that and influence that through prayer. So as we go into prayer and fasting, let's anticipate our prayer changing the way God acts. Let's do that, because it's going to. Let's remember all things work for good. Let's cast all our anxieties on him. Let's expect to see the church rebuilt as we go. And very briefly, I just want to wrap up with one more point. The whole of Scripture is about Jesus, isn't it? You see it all the time. Old Testament, New Testament, all points towards Jesus. History pivots on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's all about Jesus. But there's one thing in particular that, for me, leapt off the page when I was preparing this talk about Jesus. And it's the point about Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. You couldn't serve the king poisoned wine, not appropriate. Nehemiah's job was to deal with it before it gets there. So only the pure stuff got in front of the king. And he does that by drinking from the cup himself. He risks his life to take the poison so the king doesn't have to. Let's think about Jesus. Before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We've looked at this verse already this morning. This cup symbolizes the wrath of God. See, God hates sin, and in his perfect justice, he will deal with sin. And this cup symbolizes the entirety of God's wrath directed towards sin for all mankind, for all eternity. It's terrifying, isn't it? This cup of God's, the sum of God's wrath. Is before Jesus. See, one day we're going to stand before God. You and I are going to stand before God. And Jesus is offering us the chance this morning to make sure that when we stand before God, we are guilt free. No stain, no blemish, no imperfection. That's the offer. When he went to the cross, when he drank the cup of God's wrath, he took our guilt and shame away. And furthermore, he offers us perfection. Not only cleanliness from that, but also he offers us purity, spotlessness, righteousness. It's the most unjust transaction ever. You trade your guilt and shame for Jesus' righteousness. (laughs) Nehemiah drinks the poison so the king doesn't have to. Imperfect wine had no chance of getting in front of the king because Nehemiah would throw it out. Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath so we don't have to. You and I can come before God, the God of eternity, because Jesus has taken away our imperfections, paid the price for our sins, suffered God's wrath in our place, and we can stand there pure and spotless, and righteous before our heavenly Father. And I just wanted to share that because that was that just jumped off the page for me when I was preparing, and I think think that's for some folks here today in this room that need to respond to that. So we're going to get the band back now. I'm just going to pray. And then we're just going to, I'd love us to be able to respond to this. There's all kinds of points coming out of this this morning. I'd love you in your hearts, just as we worship, to be able to respond to that. The prayer team are going to be over to my left. And there may, be, may well be stuff coming out of this that you want to, you want to respond to, or you may want to respond with whoever you're with. But as we move into, in, into this week of prayer, I'd love for Nehemiah to be shaping us and molding us and for God to be using that in our hearts. Let me just pray, just as, the, as these guys regroup. Lord, we're so grateful for your word in our lives. We're so grateful for your scripture, Lord. We're so grateful for the history and the heritage over thousands of years that we're standing on, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. We long to be that pure, spotless bride that you portray in scripture, Lord. We long to be the church that you'd have us be. So we say, Lord, would you come? Would you come and build the church, Lord? Build King's Church for your glory. Build the church in Kingston for your glory. Build the church in London, the church in the UK. Build your global church, Lord, your bride. Build it for your glory as only you can, Lord. And we want to say we're we're here, Lord. Use us, Lord. We want to be those that are engaged in rebuilding the wall. We want to be those that put our backs into it. We want to be those that pray and fast and seek you and that you can use us for your glory. Thank you, God. Amen.
1: To respond, I know we've gone to add lots of additional talking. I want to help us respond in the, in the moments that are left. And as Paul indicated, there's a prayer team there. And I was chatting to the guys yesterday at our men's breakfast about looking perhaps as we move to the rows, just to shift the culture a little bit and how willing we are to receive prayer. Listen, I know it's not straightforward here steps and desks and chairs and speakers and it's not straightforward in two weeks time it'll be much more straightforward but why don't we begin to shift the culture a little bit now so that we begin to get used to responding to the presence of God whatever God's been saying this morning I'm just going to share a couple of things on behalf of Zoe and Becca uh, Zoe was mentioning that she really felt God in the worship saying there was a, some chains that God wants to break specifically with regards to what it is to get into a week of prayer and fasting is that fair Great. Thank you. So in addition to that, this is, this is a great week in which God can break some other specific chains if you, if you let him, if you respond. So could you come and be on the prayer team? That'd be great. Um, Becca was sharing before. Becca, who had notices before, was sharing that she felt very specifically God saying to so that three people came this morning, I think together, all of which or some of which had migraines. it's pretty specific so that's you you came as a three or you came as a one and you've got a migraine Beck is also going to come and join us down to the front if you're a a guy and you lead a life group or a cluster group I wonder if you could come and um, be on the prayer team as well just to bolster the, the male side of things Paul could you come and be with us Patrick could you come and be with us we've only got a few minutes but I'd love us just to get used to if God's here with us If he's building his church, if he loves you, if he wants to bless you, then it kind of makes sense to meet with that and respond with that. Yeah, there's a touch from God available this morning for us to begin to be a church that responds and loves the touch and the presence of God. Guys, I'm looking to you to set an example, and we're going to enjoy responding, praying, knowing healing, power, and going into this week of prayer with real momentum, real power. Let's worship, let's respond, let's pray.